Sawbones is a show about medical history, and nothing the hosts say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. It's for fun. Can't you just have fun for an hour and not try to diagnose your mystery boil? We think you've earned it. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy a moment of distraction from that weird growth. You're worth it. All right. Sawbones, a marital tour of misguided medicine. I'm your co-host, Justin McElroy. And I'm Sydney McElroy. The bits are back. Well, listen, we heard you loud and clear, America. And you do want us to do bits at the beginning of our podcast, even if we don't necessarily feel like doing one that, that week. It turns out that you guys love uncle jokes. <laughs> yes, uncle jokes, as the Teen Titans would say, uncle jokes. You know, uh, like they're not very good. They're kind of like puns and... Yeah. Uh, weird, I don't know, back doors and uh, phrasing. I don't know. They're not. They're not necessarily funny, but for some reason, you guys love them. And, so yeah, and everybody, when we said we were gonna get rid of bits, everybody said, "No, wait, please." I love the bits. In fact, hearing from all the listeners has been quite an education about how much everybody out there loves bits. The beginning bits. That's very true, Justin. And speaking of education, <laughs> that was the bit. <laughs> Bit. This, you guys should have sent us a script for this one. I do love the scripts you guys sent us, yeah, by the we way. We got several I, scripts for bits. If we can use those, <laughs> believe me, we yeah, will. Yeah, we will. We're lazy. We're just that lazy. So, speaking of education. Yes, Sid? You know, some of our listeners have asked that we talk about medical education. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. It's so regimented now. I mean, it's, it's very well documented what you need to do to... Uh, be a doctor, but I, I'm assuming that that is a goalpost that's been shifting throughout the years. Well, absolutely. I mean, it makes sense that you'd want a certain set of standards that you'd hold all people to, to like be like, so you'd know what you were getting. So sure. it wasn't just a roll of the dice, but it was obviously not always that way. Mm-hmm. So first of all, thanks Carson for suggesting this topic. Carson. Um, and so as you can imagine throughout history, as long as there've been people who have been practicing medicine and i mean you gotta i gotta imagine that it kind of started in earnest like the first person who was like hey i've got a i got a leaf for that that thing that Mm -hmm. see that cut on your leg there i have Mm -hmm. this one leaf i over at my house i could use it on you yeah that's probably how medicine started what's your point i mean well i'm just saying like there probably wasn't like a you know a doctor well it's a yeah there's just a guy who like knew some stuff about some leaves or like something and yeah it's a very uh it's a very chicken and the egg question who who taught the the first no who taught the first doctor to be a doctor nobody think about it somebody it's mind-blowing somebody just learned and then somebody was like i'm gonna start telling other people how to do this i am wrong about everything this is (laughs) is the next thing they said so strap in it's gonna be a rough millennia (laughs) 
Um, throughout most of ancient history, when we're talking about medical education, we're really just talking about apprenticeships. Yeah. Which is pretty standard. I think probably anything, any trade you were learning, that was how you learned it. Through, right. And you probably didn't need from a, a, a diploma from a school per se. It was probably more, uh, I learned from this person who learned from this person, begat, begat, begat kind of deal. Oh, exactly. And there wouldn't have been schools initially. So this would have been. What would there have been initially? No, just like guys who, and I say guys because for guys. most of history they were guys. Right. Guys who who were doctors, and if you were lucky enough to be their son, then they would probably teach you how to be a doctor. And if you didn't have a dad who was a doctor, then you would have to go ask somebody who was a doctor, hey, can I basically spend my life learning from you? I mean, that that's the thing. Like an apprenticeship didn't have like a defined beginning and end. You would just go find somebody who was a doctor and chill with them. Yep. Like until you hang going exactly until you felt like you knew enough to be out there on your own or until people trusted you enough, mm-hmm. which probably involved you being older because they wouldn't trust a young until young your kid, doctor got buck. until your teacher one night got super drunk and said, listen, honestly, we're making it up and we have been for a thousand <laughs> years. I have no idea. Best of luck out there. I hope you invent Tylenol. <laughs> That's what everyone said until a guy invented Tylenol. Yeah. Finally, we didn't even know what this was that we've been talking about. The Egyptians really did. uh, They had like a system of medicine that they followed. And it was a little more regimented in that, like, there were certain people who practiced what was like accepted as medicine, Mm -hmm. you know, at the time. And they probably taught it to each other. Like, there's some evidence just simply from when we look at the titles that that we have, like, that we see were given to certain ancient Egyptian people. Mm -hmm. Like, there were chiefs of medicine people who were referenced as, you know, translated to the chief of medicine. So certainly they were like in charge of huh. some group of doctors. So maybe they they taught people. There was also somebody called the lady overseer of lady physicians, which indicates a couple of interesting things. One, that she was probably teaching other lady physicians. And two, that she was a lady, hmm. by the way. So there were female physicians. Huh, that's interesting. Um, there were also like the physicians who oversaw butchers. Mm-hmm. Which I think is interesting. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) There was also the one was like the the monitor of liquids, something like that. I don't know what that was. A doctor. That's like a uh, pharmacist, right? Maybe. 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 Or maybe Uh, the maybe it was like a urologist. (laughs) Maybe. Oh well, yeah, that's possible. They even had like a name for proctology. On just a side note, I found this for proctologist, and it was it translated to like shepherd of the anus. I don't even have a joke there. <laughs> I think that's enough. It writes itself. Yeah. <laughs> um, the ancient Greeks primarily practiced apprenticeship as well, although they did start to institute some medical schools. But I think it's important to remember that, you know, it, it, from the Greek view of education, everybody, like if you were going to be well-educated, you studied everything. You studied science, you studied medicine, you studied philosophy right. and art and and everything liberal so there were, arts educations for everybody exactly so there were probably a lot of people who were doctors as well as a lot of other things um but the the main thing was that you had an apprenticeship if you were actually going to be a physician because the books and the and the lectures in school were kind of like well if you can do that that's great but mainly just hang out with a doctor and of course from the greeks we get the hippocratic oath so then right. we actually get you know hippocrates laying down some rules for what a doctor should be that's the uh that's the do no harm cat right you know what's interesting is that nowhere in the hippocratic oath do we actually say first do no harm really 
No, it's kind of like it's insinuated. Or I'm... Um, yeah. Implied? Yeah. Yeah. Same thing. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Same yeah. Thing. Uh, but it's not... But it's not actually said. And, and I found the original Hippocratic Oath because I thought, oh, I should include the Hippocratic Oath because I said that. Like, right. Remember when I was... Yeah, my I mean, white coat ceremony. I remember you took it. Yep. Yeah, I took the Hippocratic Oath, except for what I realized is I took something that was based on the Hippocratic Oath, but isn't the actual Hippocratic Oath. Is it just falling out of fashion or? Well, let me give you some examples. Okay. Okay, so it starts off, the actual Hippocratic Oath starts off, I swear by Apollo the physician and Asclepius the surgeon, likewise Hygieia and Panacea, and all the gods and goddesses to witness so I didn't say any of that. It would be a weird that, start. That would be a weird. Yeah, that would get a little like stone cutters, I think, I, <laughs> for me. I would be looking for, for uh, helpless lambs to be led onto stage. I don't think I swore by Apollo. I'm, I'm fairly certain I didn't. I would have remembered you swearing to Apollo. I'm certain you didn't. Now, in the oath, the next part really highlights the, the fact that they, they did value educating people in medicine, like actually learning how to be a doctor before just saying like, hey, I think I'm a doctor now because mm-hmm. I, I love bleeding people. Uh, so the next part, I will reverence my master who taught me the art. Yeah. I bet you you should point that out to your students. Let yeah. them know. Especially it goes on equally with my parents. Will I allow him things necessary for his support? Uh, in other words, I'll give him money if he needs it. And we'll consider his sons as brothers. Wow. So this is like a serious, this is like a serious relationship. Yeah. It, it ties you very tightly to your to your we they say my master but it's to the person who's teaching you medicine hmm. um as he goes on there, there's some good stuff like with regard to healing the sick i will devise an order for them the best diet good this so, is, i know that's important and i will take care that they suffer no hurt or damage i think that's where we probably first do no harm that's where that probably comes from mm-hmm. um there's some interesting things that i found in the original one that i i don't remember us saying in our oath um i will give no sort of medicine to any pregnant woman with a view to destroy the child whoa so 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 basically no i mean you take a an oath to not i mean in the original oath of course that i guess it means to not perform abortions i think i think that you could interpret that from the original oath wow there's also it, it says nor nor shall any man's entreaty prevail upon me to administer poison to anyone uh, neither will I counsel any man to do so. And so that's come into context. Like, is it then what about for physician assisted suicide? Mm. Is that a problem? Yeah. But that's like, a question at too. the same time, like this is the same document that, that summoned down Apollo and, and everybody at the beginning of it. So maybe, a- exactly. You know, it, and it, let's, let's call it a living document. Well, and I mean, it says I will comport myself and use my knowledge in a godly manner next. Mm-hmm. So that's a little, mm, yeah. well, I mean, and how many doctors do you know who are like, yeah, I, of course I act in a godly <laughs> not manner. That, not that doctor house. <laughs> that's for sure. That guy's a real, real stick in the mud. And I mean, I should point out, this is not a legally binding document. Like you can't lose your license for violating the Hippocratic Oath. Right, right, right. There's kind of a nice sentiment. More of a ceremonial type, yeah. type deal. Um, I, I like this. I will not cut for the stone, but will commit that affair entirely to the surgeons. What's that mean? So cut for the stone would have meant at the time to actually cut someone open to remove like a kidney or a bladder stone. Oh, that wow. was something that was done. But this was a, and this kind of, you see this throughout medical history. There was a differentiation between surgeons and physicians. So surgeons would cut people open and it, in general, throughout different parts of history, you didn't have to have as much rigorous training to be a surgeon as you did to be a, a medical 
physician. Mm-hmm. Now that's obviously not true now, but right. And then there's some nice stuff. Whatever house I may enter, may, my visit shall be for the convenience and advantage of the patient. Yeah. I'll refrain from doing any injury um, uh, from acts of an amorous nature. You okay. know what that means. Get, get that. Did you hear that, Hawkeye Pierce? Mm-hmm. Get that libido in line. Watch yourself. Uh, whatever I may see or hear in the course of my practice, um, I will not repeat it. Okay. So there's HIPAA. That's HIPAA right yeah, there. Yeah, that's HIPAA all the way back then. And if I faithfully... Is HIPAA abs- short for Hippocratic? No. No? Okay. No. It's the health... It's it's an act. Something. It's a, something. You know, HIPAA. Pr- pr- protection, privilege, I don't know, information, health information. Anyway, look don't, it up. Don't I don't run know. your mouth about people. That's for yeah, doctors. Yeah, don't talk about people. <laughs> That's it. That's the whole yeah. bit. If I faithfully observe this oath, may I thrive and prosper in my fortune and profession and live, live in the estimation of posterity or on breach thereof, may the reverse be my fate. Dun, dun, exclamation dun, point whoa yes that's punchy i like that yeah so i took something to that effect something like that not that exact thing um many students would learn the first dissection like from their father and uh, because a lot of these uh, doctors were learning from their dads who were doctors and they would learn it when they were little kids so a lot of people started doing dissections pretty young um this tradition continued into into roman times uh and that's when we first really start to see people writing things down and illustrating what they see, especially like from dissections. We see Galen drawing pictures of, you know, the inside of the human body. So you can start kind of creating like an anatomical text and you see more medical schools based on these teachings that people are now finally kind of something approaching more like a a regimented shared knowledge more than just dude to dude to dude. Exactly. But the, this didn't always result in like practical application. There was a lot of thinking about medicine and writing about it. But again, these these people were still in this kind of Greek view of education that like at the same time they're thinking and writing about like philosophy. So even people who were really well versed in medicine might not necessarily make a career out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, when we go to like medieval times, as you can imagine, there weren't a ton of, of medical schools or people who were seeking higher education because we kind of like things got a little weird for a while. Right. We forgot everything we knew. We forgot everything and tried to kill everybody. Yeah. All the time. There was there was a great medical school that was established in Salerno in, in southern Italy. Uh, and you read about this. Anytime you want to read about the history of medical education, you're going to read about this med school. And it was supposedly started by representatives from the, there were four different medical traditions that were kind of respected and practiced at the time. Uh, we've kind of talked about the Greek and the Latin traditions, but there was also the Arabic tradition of medicine and the Jewish tradition of medicine. And they had masters from the four different traditions come together and form the school. And students would come from all over the old world to study there. And they dissected animals. I don't think they did a lot of actual cadaver dissection, but they dissect. I don't, so you dissected animals. Kind of like biology class. Mm-hmm. I don't know that that would help you. No. Um, and but they actually did study texts. Uh, and then after you know men completed their studies, and there is I should say I say men, there is evidence that maybe some women attended. Snuck in, possibly. But did that Shakespeare and Love tape down and just went for it. The Shakespeare and Love tape down, as they call that's it. That's what it's called. Uh, but mainly men, and then they went and established schools elsewhere after they they had completed their training and went back home. Um, now, just on a side note, the system of medicine that is being taught in all these schools at this time 
is the humors, the four humors that we talked about in a previous episode. Mm -hmm. So yes, we're teaching things in a regimented fashion. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. We're teaching something. We are teaching. Which is maybe better than nothing, but even that in itself is arguable. Yeah, I mean, I, we spread these bad ideas all over the place. Um, and the main treatments that we were, you know, telling people, if you remember from the four humors, there were some like herbal treatments, but there was also like diet and exercise, which I mean, that's fine. Um, but then there was also because of the time period we're talking about, there was a lot of uh, spiritual teaching as well. So like prayer and sacrifices to certain saints and stuff that was also being taught. Mm -hmm. uh, when we get to the Renaissance, that's when we really start to see a lot of different medical schools spreading all over Europe, especially in Italy. I think we've already kind of established this tradition, but then all over. Um, when you go to places like Oxford and Cambridge or around by now, uh, they're teaching something called physic, hmm. which is sort of like the about the human body and medicine. Uh, but there's no there's not a lot of like practical application going on there. So you're reading and, and talking about stuff, but people aren't actually like seeing patients or following doctors around in a lot of these places. You're just kind of um, learning about it? They're just kind of learning, yeah, just kind of hearing about it. Um, a lot of students would travel to Italy to get more practical training. Uh, there's a lot of talk about theory of disease, but it, it isn't really until we get to the 17th century that people are going to start going to hospitals to train and actually see sick people. Hmm. Um and this, but this is an important time period because this is when we stopped for a long time. We had all these great pictures and, and writings by Hippocrates and Galen and all these really smart Greek and Roman dudes and everybody from the past. And we kind of just said, well, you know what, whatever they figured out hundreds of years ago is probably still right. So right. let's Th just, those guys already nailed it. Let's just read about it and memorize it, but let's not actually try to figure anything out. Hmm. And in the Renaissance, we actually see the beginnings of like critical thinking and the scientific method and people going, you know, maybe we should question some of these ideas. Maybe we should try things out on our own and see if we can get better results. Because nothing we do seems to like really have an impact or anything. Like everybody's still dying. All the time. So maybe if we had like a pill, I just invented the word pill. <laughs> just like there. that that's my contribution what you guys got <laughs> this this led to a lot more dissections and new drawings and diagrams and a better understanding of the human body and it's it's weird if you look at drawings of the like anatomical drawings from the time they're all in like weird poses like in my in my anatomy textbooks it was just like you know a body laying there and like here's their dissected hand or whatever. But like, if you look at, at some of these dissections and the drawings of them from the Renaissance, they're like all like dramatically posed, like with their arms up in the air, or, you yeah. know, like sprawled over a chair or something. Like that it's bodies like, exhibit we went to. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know why. I'm not entirely sure makes why better, that was the fashion. But makes a better picture, I guess. Just looks cool. Yeah. Um, after the 1600s, there were, there were more well-respected medical schools all over Europe. Um, so that was great. So all of a sudden, you know, people are learning. This is a time where we're like testing things and we're learning new things and we're taking the ideas of the, the Greeks and the Romans and we're really investigating them and seeing what works and what doesn't. Um, but again, we're still dealing with like general medical knowledge and we're not, a lot of the hospitals aren't letting people have a, like the students have a lot of contact with patients. Um, in London, for instance, you actually could learn a lot more if you went to some private uh, doctor's 
houses. I mean, they, they, I w- I'd say like medical schools, but they really weren't medical schools. They were just physicians who were had learned a lot and understood a lot and knew that the education that students were getting in hospitals wasn't the best. Mm-hmm. So they were like, just come to my house and you know, I don't know if you paid money or not. I think you did. I think you had to pay money and you could co- attend these lectures and learn a heck of a lot more from those people. Hmm. So you could just go to a dude's house and listen to these lectures. And if you wanted to be a surgeon, going to these lectures and then sitting for an exam afterwards was usually enough. To, to be your, to be like to you, you would, you'd pass the exam and you'd be a surgeon and huh. that would be it. Um, it was a lot harder to be a physician. And again, I'm not saying that like I'm, I'm not needling surgeons at the time there was a distinction and I believe, and I think I've said this before, I believe in the UK, they still refer to surgeons as sir, as opposed to doctor, hmm. like mister, right. you know, um, or missus, uh, or miss. I don't leave anybody out. Um, but like I said, it was harder to be a physician. There was more certification. You had to go uh, go to university. You had to actually get a degree if you wanted to be a physician. Um, it was also really hard though to get cadavers at this time. So we're still not doing a we're, we're not doing a lot of dissection at this period. Remember, we've kind of talked about this before. It was like for a while you could just do whatever you wanted, and then they were like, "No, let's stop cutting up cadavers. This is evil. It's weird. It's weirding everybody out." And so since it is hard to become a doctor, you're seeing more and more like charlatans in this time period, like barber surgeons who don't really know what they're doing, who are like, yeah, I'm a doctor. See, I wrote it on the sign out front. Um, <laughs> Got that whole pole and everything. And we're seeing a lot of like we're entering into the patent medicine era where like everybody's a doctor. Or link, at least link. they say they've got a doctor working for them. In the same them. way that they're, they're also a Native American. Yeah, or whatever they're or they're yeah or from somewhere that's exotic that you don't know anything about but definitely Orient. has yeah. <laughs> definitely has a cure for whatever your problem is sid i want to hear about what's going on in the u.s now more modern times but i want to take a quick break uh if you don't mind and uh uh i talk about the max fun drive that is happening this week and next uh we're part of the maximum fun network here on sawbones what that means is uh we're part of a a uh a local network of podcasts this is not a local network they're kind of all over <laughs> earth but a network of podcasts uh that are funded by uh listeners like you yourself you listening right now uh help to make max fun shows possible uh what that means is that every year we come to you and say hey can you help us continue to make sawbones and a lot of the other great shows on maximum fun and you say to that sure how can i do it and I say, well, you're going to go to MaximumFun.org forward slash donate. Uh, and you're going to see different levels that you can donate at. Uh, our lowest level is just five bucks a month. And if you can kick in five bucks a month for Sawbones and in any other shows that you listen to on, uh, on Maximum Fun, we've got a great gift for you. It's exclusive bonus content. Now, this goes back years. I mean, literally years of bonus content that you can uh listen to from every show in the max fun network uh tons of great stuff we are uh we are uh because Cindy and i have <laughs> always wanted to do it uh we uh we used to host a uh uh two and a half men fan cast for people that had only started listening when ash and kutcher took over called losing the sheen and uh just for for giggles we're gonna record a uh commentary for the final episode of that, that you can watch them together and enjoy the, both of those together. Because we watched yeah. it and it was amazing. And let me just say, if you like this show, 
that does not necessarily mean you should run out and listen to our old show, Losing the Sheen. Right. I'd this listen- is more of a treat for the old yeah. fans. Plus you if you want to watch it, because it really is not kidding. An amazing hour of television. Exactly. And this, um, unlike Losing the Sheen, this will be, as you have come to expect from Sawbones, um, a uh, an expletive-free Expletive-free podcast. podcast. Yeah. Now, free Losing enjoy. the Sheen was not, so if so, you don't like that kind of thing, stay away from it. We, uh, at $10 a month, you're going to get all that exclusive bonus content, plus a, a, a tote bag we made just for this drive. $20 a month, you get the bag, the content, and the, uh, the in-flight power pack. That's a mobile device charger, collapsible water bottle, antibacterial wipes, and pilot wings, all with the MaxFun logos. And at $35 a month, you can get a pair of rocket engraved shot glasses, plus all the other stuff. Uh, there are more donation levels at $100 a month and $200 a month. Uh, and, and we've got some great rewards uh, for those that you can read about on MaximumFun.org forward slash donate. Those donations, when you uh, sign up to donate, you're going to tell them what shows you listen to. And your donation is going to be divvied up among those shows. So you are directly supporting the shows that you listen to on Maximum Fun uh, when you donate to The Drive. We really appreciate it. It's allowed us to uh, uh, buy microphones and pay for our equipment and pay for hosting costs and all that stuff. Uh, and, and it really does help us to uh, to make this show every week because um, we got a baby now, folks, and babies aren't cheap. To feed our baby. Feed our baby. Go to MaximumFun.org can... for slash donate. <laughs> uh, oh, if you already donate to the network, uh, you can upgrade that donation and get all of those uh, gifts. Uh, and also, if you're a new donor, we've got challenge donors that are going to give money every time a new person uh, signs up, so you your money is doubly useful. Uh, if so, you let's never, bankrupt those guys. Let's bankrupt those guys. Go to maximumfund.org forward slash donate right this second. Sydney, uh, let's bring it over to the Americas and a, a little bit more modern time. So let's talk about the U.S. So of course, initially, people who were doctors in the in the New World were basically traveling back to Europe, stu- studying at the schools there, and then coming back over here and and practicing medicine eventually some guys got the idea and i believe this started in philadelphia hey why don't we actually start teaching medicine here because that's like a long trip it's mm-hmm. like on a boat yeah we can't we can't now, fly a lot of people don't yet. make it back because sea serpents were still very active during the time period <laughs> so so why don't we start teaching medicine in the u.s and of course they did but as soon as university-based schools popped up a lot of other schools popped up that had nothing to do with universities and maybe nothing to do with medicine Ah. But they were really good at making money. And, Perfect. And for a while, that was how a med, a med school was judged, how good they were at making money. There were also That's how a I lot judge of, everybody and every entity. <laughs> there were also a lot of doctors who just declared themselves doctors after various lengths of apprenticeship with who knows who, for how long, doing what, um, but just called themselves doctors. So eventually we had formal licensing and board certification in the late 1800s and the early 1900s this became a thing uh so that when somebody told you they were a doctor they were held to certain standards and they actually had to go to medical school and then we started holding our medical schools to certain standards so that you know Mm -hmm. you couldn't you couldn't charge somebody to teach them how to be a doctor if you didn't actually know how to be a doctor yourself um the hard part after this was just getting hospitals to to kind of jump on board there were the schools they were associated with the universities the the didactic education the lectures and whatnot was good but we needed to send students into hospitals so they could actually see patients 
And a lot of the hospitals were like, you know, we're, we're really, no, we don't want that. That's so just interesting. So there was like a disconnect between, I wonder if that was a generational thing. Like they grew up without fancy medical schools. What do they need <laughs> a student running around biting at their heels for? Well, and I don't know if it was also just we, we are charging our patients a lot of money and we don't, like we want them to have a good experience. So they'll keep coming back and we don't want a student in the room. I don't know if that was part of the problem. But anyway, so they were offered a lot of money to partner with schools. A lot of them said no, even even after being offered money. Uh, there were even actually separate entrances for med students in oh some gosh. hospitals. Yeah, so you wouldn't know they had them. But eventually, the hospitals that did accept students saw the benefit of once you're an academic institution, you know, it's clear that you're on the cutting edge. You know mm-hmm. what the biggest, newest thing is. You do better. Your hospital is better. And so first then- First track the new, the new people coming up the ranks. Mm-hmm. Well, and you're associated with universities, so you're doing research and you're constantly on the, you know- on the brink of what's coming next. Sure. So, and there's a lot of money there too. So anyway, this idea started to change. In 1927, the first residency was established and that made all of our lives miserable forever. I shouldn't say that. Uh, but it's, a t- it's a tough time. And since then we have, we have a lot of changes. We, so we have medical school, we have residency, and obviously we all have to take certification exams and be licensed and whatnot. Well, Sid, that brings me to, to uh, uh, something else I'd like to talk about. Can you tell me, I want to talk a little bit about just sort of your... I think using your uh, career as sort of like a case study for how this goes, because it's an interesting process that when you and I were going through it, I had no idea how a how a um, a, a regular Joe Joe College becomes a um, physician. So maybe we could walk through like, just like a brief chronology of how you got to be a doctor. Sure. Well, and I, I think this will be interesting, too, for anybody who doesn't live in the U.S., because I think we have a different system right. than a lot yeah, of the yeah, places. Yeah. We should mention this is just, just for here in the Americas. Mm-hmm. So you had a, what did you major in in college? So I majored in biology in college. You don't actually have to major in a science to go to medical school. There are just certain core science classes that you have to take in order to go to medical, and to sit for. Just to have like a basis of. Well, yeah, just to go to medical school. They, they look for certain chemistry and biology classes and physics classes that you took, and then you have to take the MCAT exam which is just a big, the MCAT. What is that? Not what it stands for. That doesn't matter. Just like, what is it? Uh, It's like, uh, it's sort of like the ACT or SAT, but for med school. Okay. Same idea. The M's probably medicine. Yeah. That's that that much we're pretty sure. I don't know what anything stands for. The T is probably test. (laughs) The A is probably aptitude. Aptitude, yeah. Okay, somewhere in there, there's a C. Just trust us on this one. The that point is, it's a, really, it's a really That's hard test, test that you take to get into medical school. What it stands for is not one of the questions. No. I did really well on it. I just don't know what it stands for. Fair. <laughs> uh, so, I, so I chose to major in biology because I like that and minored in chemistry by default because I had to take so many chemistry classes to go to med school. Right. Um, and once you, so you, you go to college, you take the right courses, you apply to medical school, you have to take the MCAT and, and it, there's no like certain score you have to get to get into med school. It just increases your chances if you do better on the MCAT and you have good grades and then good, you know, all the other stuff, just right. like getting into college, except I would say probably harder. Yeah. Uh, then you go to medical school, which is four years. Uh, go ahead. Yeah. What's the, the, in the first year is a lot. I remember your first year really clearly because there was a lot of you locking yourself in a room and just like <laughs> hardcore memorizing a lot of stuff. That's really the first two years. The first two years of, of most medical schools are very much um, lectures and didactic section sessions. Uh, we do our anatomy training then. So that's when we actually do cadaver lab and do all of our dissecting and 
kind of learn the the human body firsthand. Um, and there's tons of memorization. It, it's like learning a new language at first because mm-hmm. you have to, I mean, you know, uh, it's it's interesting. I always used to think about that when I would take anatomy tests. Like all the answers are right here inside me. <laughs> Literally. If I could just pop myself up for what, a peekaroo. I don't know what they're called. <laughs> um, no, but the first two years are really intense. And if you know any medical students, you'll know that they just you just spend hours and hours studying the first couple years. Yeah, and there's the, a lot of like 3 a.m. study sessions, I remember. Oh, yeah. And, and at the end of your first two years, you take step one of your board examinations, which alludes to the fact that there are multiple steps. Um, and that's probably that's probably the hardest test. I say the MCAT's really hard. That's probably the hardest test I've ever taken. And it's everything you learned in your first two years of med school in one big test. Woof. And you have to pass it to move on. Um, and it and it dictates where you're going to go for residency later, like how well you did, what you're eligible for. Uh, so then you actually get to start doing fun stuff. So your third year is usually largely clerkships, meaning that you rotate that through. Does, the- that sounds fun. <laughs> clerkships? Clerkships. <laughs> it is fun. You rotate through the different medical specialties uh, and you work like firsthand with patients and doctors and residents and you actually get to go do stuff Mm -hmm. um and that's great and that's when you you go through all the different departments right yes so for me it was really helpful because i went into medical school thinking i was going to be an infectious disease specialist and after i did all my clerkships i realized that i kind of wanted to broaden what i was interested in and go into family medicine Mm -hmm. because i liked everything i did and that's what they always tell you. If you do all of your clerkships and you love everything, you should probably do family medicine because that that's a good swath of everything you can do in medicine. A lot of variety. Yeah. And you can you can tailor it to what you like to do as well. So uh, so then your fourth year of medical school, you can spend time um, for one. There's a lot of time to go interview places because you're about to do your residency. But then you can take some extra like. Uh, uh, clerkship type classes in what you are interested in and you can do what we call sub internships in those areas where you go and and you really work like a resident even though you're not a resident you're and you're supervised of course but you can kind of uh, get a taste for what you what you're going to be going into Mm -hmm. and then there's a lot of time to do like fun extra stuff like i got to do a really cool health department rotation and that sound cool yeah i learned about vaccines i got to go inspect restaurants it was awesome hey talk about the match for a second because that's a really bizarre concept I think to a lot of people who don't know. So during your fourth year, you're interviewing at programs, uh, residency programs in the specialty that you're choosing. So for me, that was family medicine. Once you've interviewed at all the places that well, that you wanted to interview at and that would see you, you know, you apply for an interview and they say yes or no. So once you're done with that, you're going to make a list of all the programs that you like in the order that you like them. The top one being the one you want to end up at. At the same time, every program in the country is making a list of all the people they interviewed um, with the students they want the most at the top of the list and the least at the bottom of the list. Both of these lists are closely guarded secrets. Exactly. And there's a lot of rules about what you can ask and what you can't ask on these interviews. And you never can ask a student, like, where where are you ranking our program and, you know, that kind of thing. It's, it's all very hush-hush. Um, but then they, they take all these lists and they put them into a big algorithm. And then on match day, which actually is coming up at the end of this week, you get a letter that tells you where you're going to spend the next three to five years of your life. Wow. Yeah. And hopefully it's the school you, it's the place you chose, but not necessarily. And depending on what you want to go into, it's more competitive. You may not even get into the specialty you want to, you want to do a residency in. And some people don't match anywhere. What do they do? 
Yeah. So if you let's say that you especially if you wanted to go into something really competitive, like maybe dermatology, that's a really competitive residency. If you don't match one of the spots, meaning they're all full and you didn't get one, um, then there's a process, a week-long process called, the it, again, with the abbreviations, everything in medicine is called SOAP. Um, it used to be called Scramble. We don't call it that anymore. But it's when it you have to... Connotation. Yes, it does. It does. Uh, SOAP stands for, it's like a secondary open something, Placement, application something. something. Secondary open epic application period? Yeah, I don't know, something. something. Yeah. Anyway, so where you go apply to every program that didn't fill and every student that didn't get to a program gets to kind of, you try yeah. to meet and meet and greet and match and secondary match, basically. Yeah, log on to match.com. Put in their <laughs> likes and dislikes, favorite films, albums, food. And then, uh, on, and then, like I said, everybody finds out where they're going. And that's where you spend, depending on what you go into, the next, like I said, three to five years of your life. For me, it was three years because I did family medicine. And so my, you know, and, and when we talk about interns, everybody always wants to know what this is. What, what is an intern? Mm-hmm. I, intern it's is just confusing because they use it differently. Yeah. Intern is the word we use for a first year resident. So it's the same thing. An intern is a resident. It's just their first year. They're an intern. And then after that, they're just called a resident. And a resident is an actual doctor. But yes. They're, they're sort of a, maybe a probationary doctor. Is yeah, that accurate? Yeah. Well, Sort of. You're a doctor once you finish medical school. Right. After you finish medical school, you get an MD or a DO and you're a doctor. That's it. And you, they can't take that away from you. Right. Um, but at that point, if you want to be board certified in a specialty, you have to complete a residency. And nowadays, it's much more important. You used to be able to just finish medical school, do a year of internship and in anything and be a general practitioner. And while you can do that, more and more, that's not what hospitals and different places that are going to hire you are looking for. Mm -hmm. They want you to be board certified in something. So after your first year, your intern year is over. And I should mention, in your fourth year of med school, you take step two of the exams, the board exams. And in your first year of internship, you take step three. Right. You finish your residency. Like I said, it could be up to five years, like for surgery. Residency is when they have also, uh, specifically in the intern year, when they have their really crazy hours, right? You would work like 40-hour shifts, right? Um, I would never say that, like, for public knowledge. I thought that was like... I was never allowed. I mean, I was only allowed to work 30 hours. (laughs) Well, okay. (laughs) So I've never violated work hours. Maybe I just remembered it wrong. I probably just remembered it wrong. The work hours, hour are, you're not allowed to work more than 80 hours a week. And thir- and well, and actually, this is different now. Work hours are, are more strict than they were when I came through, but 30 hours shifts. you never let the students forget that, do you? Uh-uh. Nope. I tell them that all the time. It used to be harder, you know. <laughs> now you only have to work 16 hours. You know, it used to be 30. Um, but yeah, so those are, when somebody's in residency, they're just like, that's their whole life. That's all you do. Right. Yeah, right. You live and breathe and eat and sleep and... It would rarely sleep Sydney, at the hospital. Sydney one time got uh, off of a shift and we went straight to a play that her little sister Riley was doing. And one of the uh, scenes, the little skits that they did, where it was uh, they had signs that they had written on about like what kind of person they were or something. And Sydney literally started crying. Just she And I was like, looked at her like, what are you doing? And she's like, <laughs> It's just beautiful. It's so beautiful. Like, okay, it's time to go. I was on my surgery rotation, and I was pulling every other night call shifts. It was a hard time. It's rough. Yeah. So so anyway, you survive your residency. You work 80-hour weeks. You're exhausted. And at the end, you sit for, well, you're done with your residency. So now you're, you're a 
well, I mean, you've already been a doctor, but as long as you pass your board exam in that specialty, so for me, it was family medicine boards, then you are a board certified whatever doctor, me a family doctor. And you have to go get a job. And then you got to get a job. Ta-da! And then you got to pay back your student loans. Ta-da! Sorry about that. Uh, thanks, folks, for listening to our uh, our special Max Fun Drive episode. I want to remind you again that address uh, is MaximumFun.org forward slash donate. Let them know you listen to Sawbones. and and Yeah, speaking of student loans, I've still got a lot to pay back. Help us out here, folks. Help me out. Come on. Uh, uh, (laughs) You can uh, and be sure to to say hey to us on Twitter so we can thank you for for donating. Uh, At Sydney McElroy is her S-Y-D-N-E-E. And I'm at Justin McElroy, just like it sounds. Uh, maximumfund.org forward slash donate last time I'll ask please 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 if you if you can spare a few bucks a month uh, it really would mean a lot to us um, thanks to the taxpayers for letting us use their song medicines as the intro and outro of our program thanks to Maximum Fund for having us on thank you to you for listening um, thanks to people who are already uh, giving to Sawbones and uh, and tweeting about it folks like uh, Sarah Bay Ellie Jacqueline, uh, Sean C, Anna uh, R. Snyder, Jeremy Frank, uh, Kat- uh, Katrina, uh, Awesome Monster, um, many, many others, Cruz Flores, Kale Ricks, Amanda, uh, Justine, so many others. Thank you so much for, for donating to our program. You're really, uh, you're really helping us out. Sid, I think it's going to do it for us, old buddy. I think so. Thank you guys again. And uh, let's go watch t- Tuna Men for Yeah, and we'll see you guys next Tuesday. Uh, until then, I'm Justin McElroy. I'm Sydney McElroy. And as always, don't drill a hole in your head. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.